Thank you, Jim. Well, as we get started, Here's the joke for you. Oh, that's better. Everybody can hear me, and I'm going to dangle for a minute. Uh, what did the acorn say when it grew up? Gee, I'm a tree. Think about it. You'll get there. I'm stuck. Gee, I'm a tree. Gee, I'm a tree. Acorns grow up and become trees. Okay, okay, we're not quite awake this morning, are we? A couple of you got it. There we go. Annie got it. Okay, good. Oh, we're not going to mention names. We're going to fight with a microphone instead. Well, it's, it's a privilege to be here uh, this morning to talk about an area to me that was near and dear to who Jesus is. It's an area that as I speak and I spend time with our under-shepherds, our elders, it's more and more apparent that it is a, just a, a burning desire of theirs, and it is a burning desire of us as a church to be the kind of church that learns and understands how to worship God and depend on Him through prayer. We're really good at talking about prayer but today it's my prayer that we begin to commit ourselves to not just talking about it, but living the prayerfully dependent life. If you know our core values that I refer to rather often, you'll know that one of the very first ones is that we will be a people that are prayerfully dependent upon the Lord. We need God all the time. There is never a time, this whole series, I keep coming back to this idea that every part of our life should be spiritual and is spiritual. We need him all the time. Yet, I'll be honest, when I talk to people about prayer, the, some of the responses I get are, well, the Lord doesn't need to waste his time on my stuff. You know, and by the way, that's false humility because you're worried about it. And God says he can handle everything. So what we're doing is saying that we know better than God. So don't say that to me, because now that I've told you, I'm just going to spit that back at you, and I'm going to feel bad because I wasn't very gentle, and then my wife will tell me I'm not very gentle. But the bottom line is we do it all the time. We say, God, you don't have time for me, or God, you don't need to be bothered with my stuff. Or the other thing we do is we don't have time for God. You got, our congregation, you are busy people. You've got a lot going on, and there's a lot to do. Well, I just don't have time for prayer today. There's, there's too much going on. I've, I've heard that. Uh, and to be honest, I've probably said that at times. But as we look to the scriptures today, we find Jesus about to be crucified, knowing he's about to be crucified. He brings his disciples, and he comes along, and he returns to the Mount of Olives, and he prays. We don't, we're not told in any of the gospel accounts exactly how long he prayed. Each account reflects it slightly differently, and we're going to look largely at the Luke one. And then in John, we get this other instance, an example of Jesus praying. 
Now, whether they're the same prayer time or not, we don't know. Some would say yes. Some would say it's a different time, the prayer you read in John 17. What we do know is both the prayer you find in Luke chapter 20, uh, 22 and uh, John 17 happened at the near end of Jesus' earthly life. And we also know that we can learn much from them. But as we talk about prayer, I wanted us to, to think about it slightly differently today. I want us to take a hard look at how Jesus prays, but then also consider some of our assumptions of it. And one of the great things about it is you all know me. And so what I did is I, I was busy this morning. I got up early, but my kids did too. So I didn't get time to eat breakfast. So if you don't mind, I made myself some coffee. I got my special Hong Kong cup so that you can know I'm cheering for Hong Kong at about 1046. So if somebody would check that score for me in a while, I'd really appreciate it. Uh, so I've got my coffee. I've got my handy-dandy bun. I've got the newspaper. got my Bible. It's a great day. And you know what would make it even better is I love sharing coffee with people. In any given week, I spend a good chunk of my time having coffee with many of you, at least 10 people per week usually. Uh, trying to track you down and, and find ways to spend time with you. And usually coffee shops are one of the easiest ways to do it. And when I go and have coffee with people, and maybe the table decoration isn't as nice as this. And if you're wondering how nice this is, come to Alpha Marriage Course and find out. But when we sit there, I find that most of the time people don't just want to hear me talk. Right? Think about that for a second. If you sit down and you say, Mike, I'm going to have coffee with you this week, your expectation isn't that I'm going to do all the talking, is it? No. The expectation, usually as me, your pastor, is that I'm going to do a healthy amount of the listening, right? And you're going to tell me what's going on, or I'm going to be expected to ask some really profound questions that get you to tell me what's going on, right? That's kind of how we expect things to roll. And so, if I were to ask you the basic question, we're going to have coffee together, so let me have my first sip. How are you doing today? We're going to have coffee together. How's everybody doing today? I want to hear. How you do, Jeanette, how you doing? D fine. That's, that doesn't mean anything. <laughs> Somebody else try. Come on. I can't do anything with fine. You're content. Praise the Lord for that. That's a great thing. Good. Anybody else? How are we doing today? Great, I heard. Good. Healthy. Praise the Lord. See, this gets us started. We begin to have a conversation, and that allows me something to work off of. If you say fine, the conversation has ended before it started, right? I got nothing to do with fine. Content. Well, praise the Lord. How do you find yourself find, being content in a world like this? Uh, healthy. Well, praise the Lord. H have you been struggling recently? You know, there's always a follow-up question. But when we think about prayer, what do we do? We talk a lot, don't we? We tell God if, if, if we spend time in prayer, and he, he'll listen to everything we say. But I wonder this morning, if we were to be honest with ourselves about who God is and about our devotion to him, do we embrace God in a prayerful relationship rooted deeply on his word and on what his word teaches us about prayer and about dependence on him? 
Or do we tend just to tell him everything we expect him to hear? And even more, we often just tell God what we think he wants to hear. And I've got a secret for you. God knows your heart. So even though you can think you're telling him what he wants to hear, he knows what's really going on inside. And I think that's really encouraging and somewhat terrifying. Because if we're honest with ourselves, something that's very difficult to do, we all wrestle with darkness. We all wrestle with temptation. We all wrestle with the ongoing push of Satan to build darkness in our soul, to have us give in to temptation. Jesus had no darkness in him, but he was still tempted. He was still attacked by Satan continuously. We don't read about all of them, but do you think Satan gave up? I don't. That doesn't seem to be Satan's modus operandi. So this morning, I want us to get a mental picture of a really great conversation, but one that's not about us. Because as I sit down with any of you and have a cup of coffee, it is my desire, hopefully, that I'm a good enough listener that I get to know you better when we talk. You'll hear some stuff about me, too. I like talking about my kids and my family and rugby and whatever else. But far more important to me is that I hear what's going on with you. But I wonder, when we sit down and pray, what's our attitude toward God? And we can learn a lot this morning as we look to Luke chapter 22. And the first thing we look at is we see it on the screen already. All of you likely sit down and maybe you don't drink coffee, maybe it's tea, but you have something, and whether it's bread or really, I'll be honest, normally I'm a cereal guy, but I thought that would be too messy, so I brought bread instead. But whatever it is, we'll sit down, we'll have some breakfast, or like some, you'll just rush out the door and grab something at the bakery on the way. I love watching uh, this bakery across the street at 9.40 or at 9.20 in the morning because people are running to the, um, the blue buildings, and it is just a crazy line as everybody gets their morning snack. But we make time for this. We do this. We get into these rituals, right? We kind of do the same thing in the same ways over and over again. Well, interestingly about prayer, you're not suddenly going to learn to be prayerfully dependent just like that. Did you know that? No. When we look at the scriptures, one of the first things we see about Jesus Christ is that he practiced prayerful dependence. Look carefully at this verse. Jesus went out as usual to the Mount of Olives and his disciples followed him. I love those two words, as usual. Simple words. In fact, most of you, if, I, if I'm sitting here having my coffee with you and I'm asking what's going on, you're going to tell me, well, I do the same thing I always do or life's as usual, things go the same way, this, that, and the other. It's all very mundane, however you say it. But this is not a mundane statement. This is not just a little detail that Luke threw in as a passing thing. This is God's word demonstrating to us that we know Jesus was in the habit of getting away to pray. What about us? Now, outside of a good meal, dear Jesus, thank you for this food. Give me a good day. Amen. Do we withdraw to pray? 
You read stories of famous missionaries and famous evangelists and famous Christians. And time and again, you look at the, um, the, the writer of James, James, the, the brother of Jesus, and he was known as Nabinese James. Why? Because as he came to know Christ, he spent more and more time on his knees. We read of Hudson Taylor spending up to three to four hours at a time every morning getting up long before anyone else to make sure that his day was started in prayer. We read of George Mueller, the same. Some would say that George Mueller's bedside actually had grooves where his knees were from praying so consistently, so regularly. But then when we look at us, we might practice prayer in a few different ways. We might squeeze it in when we can. And that's, it's good to at least try, but I want to challenge us to do more than try. Or we do the old, we're going to go to bed and pray when we get to bed. And some of you, the, the reason I think that often we, we bow our, get down on our knees isn't so much the idea of bowing, which it is a huge part of, and I think it's a reverential thing to do, but some of you might like to pray at night. But if you crawl into bed and start praying, I'm pretty confident you're going to last about two sentences, right? Or you'll wake up halfway through and you'll continue saying the same part of the prayer over and over again because you keep falling back asleep. Or am I, I'm really the only one that that's happened to? No? Okay, well, thank you for some of your honesty. Sometimes we just... We're exhausted already. Look at the disciples. They fell asleep. They were exhausted from sorrow. But Jesus, in a very odd thing, instead of standing to pray, which was how it was traditionally done at this time in this culture, he knelt down and he prayed and he practiced praying. You want to get better at something? Do it. Don't just talk about it. I was I was telling um, a friend of mine that, that serves as my mentor that I'm really wanting to get in better cardiovascular fitness shape. I need to be able to recover quickly and when I run and, and things. And he says, "Great." And then I said it again a couple weeks ago, or a couple weeks after. And he looked at me and he said, "Well, I'm glad you've told me twice. What are you going to do about it?" And 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 that's the same. Many of you will say. I want a better spiritual life. If I were to ask you the question, how many of you would say your spiritual life could improve? Okay, good. What are we going to do about it? Really? Are we just going to hope? Jesus models the idea of getting away from it all and spending time with the Father. Will we? Or will we get caught up in whatever else is going on. I love uh, the title of a book, and it's actually an excellent book written uh, a long time ago. I think it's almost 20 years old by Bill Hybels. And in that book, the, the name of the book is Too Busy Not to Pray. It's in our church library. It's, it's worth a read if you've never read it. But the bottom line is he gives illustration after illustration after illustration of countless men and women that, knew and loved the Lord and had an intimate relationship with him. And the one thing he kept coming back to and discovering was as busy as their lives were. And these were some amazingly busy and important people. They found more and more time to pray. And the more and more time they had to pray, the more ordered their life became. The more perspective they had on life. 
Because maybe you tend to be more like me, where the circumstances of the day can be overwhelming. How am I going to get all this done? I better start right now and put this off till later, right? Well, I don't believe that's how Jesus modeled prayer. I don't believe that Je- that's how Jesus modeled a relationship with the Father. Now, he spent time on his knees, away from people, away from the distractions, so that he could listen, so that he could relate, and so that he could enjoy the presence of God. But most of us can talk a good talk, but would say honestly that maybe we're too busy as well. Prayer takes practice. Also, we know undoubtedly, and, and I know you're going to look at me. I tried to keep this message very simple, honestly. But this is one of those statements where it's like, well, duh. But prayer's about God, right? If you think about your last prayer time with the Lord, though, what's the most commonly used pronoun in your prayer time? Help me, I, me, I, if us, every once in a while, if we're, if we're good, but a lot of it's about me, right? And that, you know, God knows us already, and it's not bad to tell him what we're dealing with and what we're thinking about, but how did Jesus start? Now, let me, let me put this into perspective here. As we look at this passage, Jesus is God, okay? You're not. Were you with me on that part? Okay, so when Jesus is praying, we have to keep that in mind that it's, it's slightly different and we learn even still from how he prays. He says he withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them. So he went beyond. He didn't just, he invited the disciples to come with him, but then he left them behind and went further. And he said, Father, if you're willing, take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. He knows what's coming. He knows suffering like we can't imagine is upon him. He knows one of his own is going to betray him. We've seen all of this already illustrated. And still, he kneels down and he prays, Father, if you're willing, take this from me, but not my will, but yours be done. That gives me this picture of a man in submission. A man willing to listen. A man who knew God as his father and is fully God saying, not my will, but yours be done. Not my agenda. Couldn't there be another way, God? No, Lord, let me do your will. Let me do what you have in mind for me to do. He was willing to listen and obey the will of God. He knew. And that comes from spending time in prayer. We'd like to say often that we could take that same attitude. But it takes practice. And it takes us practicing getting in the habit to praying in the Lord. To going to him First, if you flip over to John chapter 17 in in another of Jesus' great prayers, and someday we'll actually spend a lot of time on this prayer. But in John 17, he prays for all sorts of people that we'll talk about in a few minutes. But look at how he starts his prayer there. Father, the time has come. Glorify your son. Now, that's how sometimes we start. Glorify me, right? Right? Build me up. 
fix me, make me better, right? They're like, yeah, Jesus, go, go, go. That's not what he's saying because he keeps going. He says, glorify your son that your son may glorify you. Oh. So you mean even in prayer, everything's ultimately about God? Yeah, it is. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your will be done. Or if you learn the old version, thy will be done. Thy kingdom come. I don't hear any me's in there. I hear a whole lot of God. But when we pray, do we spend time in worship of him? If you read my annual report, you'll read in there that it is my prayer for us this year as a church to grow in worship and to grow in prayerful dependence. Worship isn't just what you see up here on the stage. Worship is every area of our life being offered to God. Worship is understanding how to enjoy the presence of the Lord with us 24 hours a day. Worship is about knowing God and bringing him glory instead of needing him to fit into my box. Jesus displayed and demonstrated that. Not my will, Lord, but yours be done. And he listened to the will of the Father. I, I sometimes like to act like I can be intellectual, so I want to share with you a Soren Kierkegaard quote so I can sound smart. In all reality, I just read it in another book, but it's really good, and actually I do like Kierkegaard. But a man prayed, and at first he thought that prayer was talking. But he became more and more quiet until the end, he realized prayer is listening. It's a hard thing to do to be quiet before the Lord, to say, teach me, Lord, to guide me, to help me worship you. But the more we do it, the more quiet our soul becomes as we listen to him, as we let him guide us and teach us his word. Prayer is about the Lord. An interesting point that you see here, and you might wonder, how, where's Mike going with this? But prayer is also very physical. It is a physical act. It's not just a mental ascent. I, I think about, I was able, my, my, my dear wife surprised me on Friday afternoon and said, I got you a sevens ticket for tomorrow. Can you go after uh, Grace and Gabriel, uh, I can't remember their new last name, but the wedding. And so I wrote her back, and I said, I could probably squeeze it in. <laughs> Shocker, I know. And I was on the pit, or I, was, I had these great seats, and I was watching these men. And from way up where I was sitting, they don't look that big. Until at the end of the night, I went down to meet one of my friends to go have dinner. And they walk by you. And I'm not a super short guy in Hong Kong. But I'm also not large. I've been told not to call myself short anymore, so I'm not going to do that. These guys were tanks. They were like this big, running up and down a 120-meter pitch at full speed for six minutes and a half and tracking each other down. And then when they touch each other, they beat each other to smithereens. It's a great sport. It's really exciting. But they don't just get good at that on that day, Right? There is intense training. I would challenge any of you to go over, find a football pitch anywhere in Hong Kong. There's a few. 
and try to run for two minutes at full speed. Okay? Can you do it? No. Then while you're doing it, get the biggest guys around you can find to have chasing you. Right? Suddenly you'll get a little faster. But see who wears out first. There's a very big spiritual analogy there. Prayer is indeed a physical act of submission before our Lord. And we are being chased all the time. The evil one is trying to tackle, to defeat, and to harm us. He does not have our best interests in mind. He has his best interests in mind, which in his mind is the destruction of of God's people. You are being chased. Do you train like it? Do you build up your spiritual muscles in prayer and in devotion and study of his word? Or do you just once in a while say a little prayer to God and hope that's enough? Oh, I hope not. Can you imagine being so wrought in prayer that you need an angel from heaven to come and strengthen you? That you in anguish prayed so earnestly that you sweat blood? I don't, I don't imagine the grief that Jesus must have been dealing with, not only knowing the pain that was about to come, but the suffering at the hands of sinners that he loved so much and that he knew, knew better than to continually betray him by choosing their ways instead of his own. And, and the anguish, it must have just been so painful. And he was weary already. But the thing is that I love about this is in our weakness, he is strong. And God sent an angel to strengthen the Lord. So let me ask you, aren't there times in your life when you feel you're so weary, so hurting, so broken that you can't go on? Well, if God loves his son enough and we're told that we are co-heirs with Christ, don't you think that in those moments he will strengthen us? Or again, do we just take matters into our own hands and try to fix it and tell him what to do? Jesus prayed such a physical prayer. He wasn't afraid to go to the Lord in his greatest moment of need. He also rejoiced in moments of rejoicing. He always gave God the glory God deserves throughout his prayers. When he prays for people, you see that time and again. Lord, I pray that they might know you. And in John 17, that's exactly how he prays. His heart was always for God first and for others. Prayer is physical. I want to talk about posture. And I want us to consider how do we approach the Lord in prayer. Do we set aside aside a place where we go to the Lord in prayer? Maybe kneeling physically isn't possible for you. I don't believe this verse is saying everyone has to kneel. I think that would be missing the point. But I think the point is that in every part of our very being in life, we are surrendered and focused on God. That's prayer. That's real prayer. We're not just focused on our distractions. You hear me say all the time that I need solitude. And I, my wife actually told me a couple of weeks ago that she needs me to get that soon because I'm a little too stressed. And it takes me a day and a half before I can even be quiet. 
It takes that long to slow down. But the more time I spend in the practice of the presence of God in prayer, the more contented I am in listening, in being still with the Lord. And he teaches me what to pray and how to pray it. Isn't that awesome? That's how God works. He longs for us to engage him in relationship. He will teach us. He will guide us. He will open up our eyes to his word in miraculous ways when we make the time. Prayer also fights temptation. Do you think it's a a coincidence that twice Jesus tells his disciples the same thing? On reaching that place, he said to them, pray that you will not fall into temptation. Most of us interpret that to be that they wouldn't fall asleep. Um, I'm not willing necessarily to say it was just that because these disciples were dealing with many things and temptation would have been coming fiercely, I believe, from Satan at this point. And then at the end, he says, why are you sleeping? Get up and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. You will be tempted. The scriptures are very clear. When you are tempted, pray. It's, it's not a radically complex thing. Uh, what I do, uh, and you've heard me say this before, is when I feel myself being tempted, when I'm struggling with something, or I, I know that Satan's attacking me, I always go and I pray scripture. And it's always the same scripture. It has been since I was 15 years old and I first went through the 2-7 course. And you know what verse I use? Assurance of victory. Come on, who knows it? 1 Corinthians 10, 13, no temptation. And I make it about me. I'm going to be honest with you. No temptation has seized me except what is common to man. I love that because it means I'm not the only one. We get PMS all the time, don't we? Poor me syndrome. We think we're the only ones dealing with this. Eh, Sorry. No temptation has seized me except what is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not let me be tempted beyond anything I can bear. He will not let me be tempted beyond anything I can bear. He won't give me more than I can handle. So what if when you realize that the attacks are coming really hard, you gave thanks to God for seeing fit to allow you to wrestle with so much? What would that do to your perspective? It would change poor me to praise God, wouldn't it? It'd just be a simple shift, but it's a Christian shift that we don't make. Thank you, Lord, for allowing me to go through this much and seeing, or saying that I am seen fit to suffer in this way. But Lord, help me not to fall into it. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that I can stand up under it. He is our rock. He is our fortress. He is our protector. And he gave us a sword, not to cut somebody's ear off, but to fight the evil one. Isn't that awesome? We aren't left defenseless. When Satan attacks, we go to his word and we go to the Lord in prayer and we say, God, you can handle it. I can't. I would love an amen there. I think it's appropriate. And I still didn't get a very good one. One person. Okay, fine. Man, twice Jesus says, don't fall into temptation, but pray that you won't. Do we pray that same prayer? Do we pray, Lord, lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from the evil one. For yours is the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. So what about us? 
I've said a lot of things we shouldn't do, right? And I've said some ideas of how. But when you look over at John 17, I'm not going to read the whole prayer to you because I want to invite you to do it later on. But I want you to see some things that Jesus does in his last discourse on prayer, I call it. And you find it in John 17, the whole chapter. Uh, First, when you look at real prayer, is Jesus prayed. He prayed for his glory, for the glory of God. That's the first thing he does. And I've already read you a little bit of that. But interestingly enough, he goes on. Now, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I have brought you glory on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. This guy gets it. It's about the glory of God. Everything was about that. His very existence on earth was about the glory of God. So when we go to God in prayer, start there. Every time. It's amazing. You'll get to the glory of God and sometimes you'll forget that little thing you were so worried about five minutes ago because God is so awesome. (gasps) It's pretty cool. Jesus also prayed for his disciples. He prayed for those that would lead the church. He prayed that not just that they would have strength. He did pray that. But that they would reflect him. That they would be faithful. And you look there. He's revealed all these things to him. Now may they do it and may they be strong. Please don't raise your hand. I don't want to be discouraged. Or maybe I would be really encouraged. But I don't want to take the risk. I'm a fearful man. How many of you pray for your church leadership consistently? How many of you really spend time not just telling us what you want us to do, but passionately praying that the men and women God has raised up as leaders of AIC would be faithful shepherds, teachers, servants of the Lord? Jesus prayed for his disciples that they would shepherd well. Do you pray for your under-shepherds? Do you pray for these men, myself included? Do you pray for the discipleship class teachers? Do you pray for our sound and video guys? They've got one of the toughest jobs in the church. Look, this is my third microphone this morning. And who knows? I'll keep going. I might break another one. But then Jesus also prayed for his followers. He prayed for the people. But it's interesting how he prayed for them. And I want you to look at that in John 17, 20 through 26. Because he says it's not just for the disciples alone. I pray for those that will believe in me through the message the disciples gave, that all of them may be one. (gasps) Interesting that as Jesus is praying and that as he's asking God to allow his name to be spread, him to be glorified, when he gets to the thing that would become the church, what's he pray first for? Unity. Unity that they may be one. Huh. How do we do on that? Do we pray for unity? Do we seek it with one another? Or do we spend most of our time frustrated with one another that we don't do things the way that we should or expected or our expectations get in the way? Jesus prayed specifically that they would be one Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, Trinitarian view right there, may they also be in us so that the world may believe you have sent me. The greatest testimony I've ever heard 
is personal encouragement was the first time I taught English in Beijing. And about halfway through, we'd seen over six people come to Christ in a very short number of time. And finally, we asked them, what gives? How come? You know, we were told maybe one, and that would be really great. And we were seeing a couple a day most of the time, and it was amazing. And we were giving God the glory, and we were so excited. But we didn't know what we were doing. And one girl, one of our middle school students, sat down with her teacher and told her, she said, well, we know what you believe. We figured that out early. But we just think it's amazing that you people that never knew each other before you started three weeks ago love each other that much. We've never seen that. That was so convicting to me. Because when I'd started that trip, there was a couple of people that really drove me nuts. (laughs) And I'm sure I drove a lot of people nuts myself. But we focused on unity. We prayed for it every morning and every afternoon and every night. We had three prayer times a day. And I believe the reason the Holy Spirit worked in such mighty ways was God was faithful to answer the requests we gave before him. And he saw fit to answer them in the affirmative in many souls. But it started with the testimony of unity. Are we one? Are we praying that we would be one? Are we humbling ourselves in humble submission to one another out of love for Christ? And then finally... In that same section, Jesus prays that we would be one, that we would show him to the world. I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Right before that, he said, may they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me. Why do we seek unity so much? Because it's such a powerful statement of who God is. We shouldn't love one another. Look around. You're not the same. Right? Some of you are from America. Some of you are from New Zealand. And we'll probably celebrate tonight. Some of you are from right here in Hong Kong. Some of you are from the mainland. Some of you are from South Africa. England even. France. I don't know where you're all from, honestly. The Philippines. Everywhere. The list is long. But God brought us together. If and when we live in true unity, what a picture to the world that is. And we better be praying for it. And when we pray for it and when we seek it and when we act on how God's will, as he reveals himself to us, he might just use us to change the world. So what do we do now? Well, I think we pray, don't we? So I've done something, and, and I believe it's, it's okay to, to make commitments together uh, to try to hold each other accountable. So I'm going to ask the ushers in the back. Every usher will have some papers, and they're going to pass out a piece of paper to everyone today. And what I want to invite you to do is, is I was talking with the under-shepherds. We're concerned. We're concerned that our people love the Lord, but we're concerned that we're not as faithful as we could be in prayerful dependence upon him. And I don't say that to make you just feel bad. I say that to challenge us together. Because I believe in prayer and study of the word, we will grow and we won't be able to help but obey where the Lord sends us and what he tells us to do. So I want to invite you to go on a journey with me for the next 30 days. Now, please understand, I'm not just asking you to pray for 30 days and then stop. Okay? 
I expect you as your pastor to develop a life of prayer that is every day meditating on his word 24 hours a day. It's amazing the more time you spend with God, how much his words come out of you instead of your own, right? But I'm going to ask you to do something with me. I'm going to ask you to say, hey, I'm going to join with AIC for the next 30 days, and we're going to pray fervently. We're going to pray physically, and we're going to pray consistently for some key areas. And actually, Charles, could I have one? I forgot to give myself one. Sorry, thanks. And what I've done is I've looked at Luke 22 and John 17, and I've listed some areas that we can pray together. Now, your list may go on, and the more time you spend with God, he'll guide you in your prayers, and it's amazing as you seek his word. But in this 30-day journey, I want to invite you every day to make time to get alone with the Lord and pray that God would be glorified above all else. That I, that you would personally seek out, listen to, and then do or obey his will. Many of you know what the will of God is, but are afraid to do it. Not going to lie. Then we would, that we would be a church that prays for our leaders of AIC. That we would shepherd well. That the leaders would point us to God and to his word faithfully and courageously. In the years to come, I believe God is going to invite us to take some dramatically awesome steps of faith may we have the courage to lead the way and shepherd well, as God is our shepherd first. We pray that we, the people of AIC, would be unified, not just for the sake of unity, but as a strong testimony to who Christ is to the world. And then finally, that the world will see Christ in us and come to share in his inheritance, come to share in his glory. We pray for the lost, if you want to add your own words. That's what we're doing. We pray for our missionaries. We pray for our people that are sharing the love of Christ with everyone they come in contact with. And then each day for the next 30 days, you can go and read a short little snippet, and it's already up this morning, aichk.wordpress.com, a daily blog. Won't have much. Sometimes you'll hear from me. Sometimes you may hear from an under-shepherd. Sometimes you may hear from one of you a story that God's taught you throughout this journey. And then you can comment at the bottom of every page. Comments are enabled. I ask you to use discretion. Shouldn't have to say that, but let's do it. But we can grow together. And in this worldwide web thing we've got going, a blog is a great place to do that. Every morning, it should be live. Actually, it'll probably go live the night before because in case I don't get up first thing. But you can join it every day. You can tell each other what God is challenging you with and how you are growing. And then the bottom part is just because I I want you to say, hey, I'm in. Many of you say, I already pray, Mike. I don't need to sign a piece of paper. That's great. You know, no, no problem. But we'd just like to know how many are with us on this journey. I'd like to see us quadruple. Yeah, that's right. Quadruple the number of people we have at 915 on Sunday morning. You are not too busy to come to church. You hear me? Your kids aren't that important, parents. I'm tired of parents telling me, and I am very emotional about this, that I can't come to prayer because my kids need me. Your kids need you to pray. Do you understand me? Pretty clear on that one, right? Good. So you've lost your excuse. If you don't have help, I will find you help, or you pray, and I'll go watch your kids. I'm already prayed up by the time I get there at 915. But it is that important. 
I want to see us have 200 people praying every Sunday morning. I want to see that same on Wednesday nights. The marriage course is going great. We need more prayers to keep it going. And then I want to know that our church body is praying together. I want to know that we are a body passionate about prayer, about godly prayer, about seeking his word and saying, Lord, teach me and help me to be like your son. If you've decided to go on that journey with us, tear off the bottom. You're going to have to fold it and then rip. And then you can just have, hand it to Charles. He's taking them. There we go. I was going to say drop it in the box at the end, but you can just hand it to Charles. If you're not willing... I'm not going to judge you and say don't, but I'm going to say please pray with us anyway. Please consider pursuing a prayerfully dependent life rooted in God's word. Prayer is so much a central theme of God's word, but yet we neglect it so often. And so let's pray together. God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, that in the midst of everything that he was dealing with, he knew that the most important thing was your glory. I pray that we would know that same thing and that we would live it out, that our prayers would be all about you, that we would be one in you. Lord, we love you. In your name I pray. Amen.